If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate can be your strength. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. The FDA recently issued a qualified health claim saying that high flavanol cocoa powder may help prevent cardiovascular disease. It may even be a helpful tool in managing cognitive decline. Flava Naturals dark chocolate bars and cocoa powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate with great flavor and minimal sugar. Their secret is sourcing premium high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. Makes a great Mother's Day gift. To order, just go to flavanaturals.com. As an intelligent medicine listener, you can get 20% off site-wide for a limited time. Just use code SAVE20 at checkout at flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today's issue is health freedom. Today we're going to talk to an outstanding advocate for health freedom. She's executive director for the Alliance for Natural Health, an organization to which I belong. In fact, uh, I'm a longtime board member and uh, recently was appointed medical director of the ANH, anh-usa.org is the destination. Uh, ANH is the guardian of freedom of choice. Uh, ANH believes that uh, natural medicine should stand alongside uh, high-tech medicine. We need an all-of-the-above approach in dealing with our most pressing health problems. Uh, Gretchen, did that sum it up pretty well? It's perfectly. Absolutely. Thanks for having me today. It's my great pleasure. So uh, it, I think this is an important time to touch base with you. In the past, we've talked about various campaigns that ANH has been involved in, uh, various calls to action, action alerts, uh, because uh, our rights to access uh, certain supplements uh, and treatments of our choice have been threatened. Uh, today, it, it seems like there's sort of a multi-front uh, onslaught on freedom of choice. So uh, let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, recently, uh, A&H became a champion for freedom of choice about the vaccine. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that because that generated um, a big response. Lots of people cheering us on, but also a lot of people uh, criticizing A&H, uh, suggesting that we were getting in the way of public health by... Uh, in some ways, uh, claiming that some people, you know, could make the decision on their own that perhaps they don't want to get vaccinated. Is that an anti-vaxxer stance? Well, I want to be clear that ANH is not an anti-vax organization. And just a few words about our current campaign, we seek to ensure that those who decline the COVID vaccine because of a history of autoimmune disease and concerns about their health safety aren't discriminated against by the companies that are requiring the vaccine as either a condition of employment or to access business services. So the vaccine has not been mandated. It's, it is still an option. People can choose to or not to become vaccinated, but there's a lot of 
pressure on individuals to become vaccinated. And it, uh, to be clear again, it's a, it has not been approved. This is an emergency with authorization and it has not been studied adequately. And in particular, it has not been studied in sensitive populations, including those with autoimmune disease or a, or a, or a risk for autoimmune disease. So we are seeking to protect their right to opt out without discrimination. Oh. So it's, yeah, and, Again, and, and you're, clearly this has been uh, portrayed as a black and white issue. Uh, either all vaccines are completely safe and effective for everyone all the time, anywhere, anyhow, uh, or else uh, you're a fringe anti-vaxxer by uh, uh, in some ways uh, impeding the universal vaccination campaign. And I think we, we need a, a more a nuanced approach to this. Uh, there's some people uh, who may be at risk, uh, you know, the the concern about autoimmunity has actually been uh, somewhat vindicated by the fact that uh, younger people who perhaps are at very, very low risk for uh, getting very sick from the vaccine, uh, also who may not be super spreaders. At first, it was thought that uh, we caught everything from our school kids. That may be the case with ordinary colds and flus. But uh, a lot of the studies are saying that uh, the kids who catch this and the adults who catch it with kids in the household, they don't get it from the kids. Uh, and so now we're seeing myocarditis, which is obviously yeah. an autoimmune phenomenon and a very, very, look, admittedly, a very rare side effect in a very small percentage of the populace. But unfortunately, these are the people who probably would not have been uh, devastated by COVID. Uh, why uh, subject them to the even the small risk? That's right. That's right. And that's our position. Exactly. So. We, again, we just seek to prevent discrimination and, and really to provide an opportunity for people to have meaningful choice, particularly at a time when we don't have enough data. And here's another subcategory of people. Uh, you know, I've, I've talked to uh, uh, friends, colleagues, uh, and patients about a vaccine mandate. Uh, they're told they need the vaccine, even though they've had documented cases of covid and now studies, the most recent study at Georgetown suggests that the natural immunity acquired when you get COVID uh, is equivalent, potentially superior to the coverage that you get when you get a two series vaccine. So why, oh, why are we taking the approach that everyone, regardless of status, regardless of underlying medical conditions, regardless of history of COVID, uh, must obtain the vaccine? Some people are being threatened with being fired. That's right. And I think that, you know, this goes to the core issue, which uh, is that we are not allowed to have these discussions. So um, those that have brought this up as a potential discussion point have been really shut down by social media and different online forums and really shunned in society. It's like, how dare you ask these questions? A, a, a really logical question such as, well, if I've already had the illness, don't I have immunity? And then why would I subject myself to potential, you know, ramifications of the vaccine? You know, I want to have this discussion. I want to get it out in the open and get the data out there. But it's like the media in particular, I mean, they're shutting down all conversations. So but these are the different things that we need to be talking about. It, it's so, it's so important. And, and I mean, the point that you brought up is just, you know, it, it is so, um, telling that we're hearing about the numbers that need to be vaccinated in order to reach herd immunity, but they're not including the numbers that have already had COVID. So it's, it's skewed data. It's, it's not a full conversation. Indeed. And there's a stigmatization 
of uh, people who have not been vaccinated. Uh, they've been referred to by some as deplorables. Uh, we heard that word before. Uh, I, just to give you a vignette, you know, I was uh, uh, in a supermarket in New Jersey uh, this weekend. And you know, an interesting thing has happened in the supermarkets. I've been shopping there on and off, uh, you know, for a year. And, you know, the rule was everybody wears a mask. Okay, so dutifully, everyone wore a mask. So uh, I hadn't been there for a couple of weeks. I walk in the supermarket with a family member, and um, we notice that uh, some people are wearing masks and some people are not wearing masks. So I go up to the guy at the deli counter. I said, what's the deal with the mask? I mean, you know, have you waived the mask requirements? Some people prefer to wear masks. He goes, well, the masks are for the unvaccinated. And I said to myself, well, okay, so there's this is like an honor system. So my family member, who was not vaccinated, uh, was walking around on the aisles, and uh, she said that a woman came up to her and said, what, you're not vaccinated? You know, as if, you know, to reproach her. And she said, that's right. I have a blood condition. She has actually a history of, uh, you know, severe autoimmune platelet disorder uh, where she might be at risk if she takes the vaccine. Uh, so, but, and so the person who accosted her kind of recoiled, you know, stepped back a few feet and gave her a wide berth as if she was typhoid Mary. So, I mean, this, these are the kinds of things that are happening in uh, real life. Uh, and, uh, there's some real polarization. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of misinformation and a lot of, um, stigmatization, if that's a word. Oh, Absolutely. There was a recent petition submitted to the FDA asking that the FDA not approve the vaccine until they have two years data post-study on all of these different sensitive populations, including the original you know, individuals who were studied. And now keep in mind that the studies won't even be complete until 2022 and 2023 for the Pfizer vaccine, the initial studies, mm-hmm. right? But the petition says, please also study sensitive populations and list you know, several different categories, including those with autoimmune diseases, study them you know, completely thoroughly for two years before you approve the vaccine. To me, that is rational. Mm-hmm. That is rational um, to, to get the data out there. It it's and because we're not allowed to discuss it, people are being shut down. You know that that impedes our access even more to real information about what's really happening. I am hearing from I have um, you know close friends, those that I know, work colleagues, and so forth and so on, who work in hospital settings, who are physicians, and you know, they have medical practices. And um, it's anecdotal, of course, but mm-hmm. the especially the, the myocardi- myocarditis and the different cardiac events. I've been hearing about those for yes. months in yes. the ER, and um, and increased autoimmunity. Not only some of the different um, autoimmune diseases we've been hearing about, but those that we haven't. A uh, medical doctor with a small practice that I know has said that within 24 hours of the second vaccine, he's had three different patients come in with um, Graves' disease, uh, mm-hmm. the, yep. the, an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. So again, it's anecdotal, but yep. it needs to be studied. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll attest to that, you know, myself. And I have to share uh, that um, uh, I have, I, my practice right now is you know pretty small. I mean, I'm not like, you know, many doctors see, you know, 20, 30, 40 patients a day. You'd like an assembly line. I see, you know, I spend a lot of time with patients. Uh, I'm now doing a lot of work in uh, journalism. So my practice is, even my part-time practice, um, comprises some patients who have had 
reactions to the vaccine. In one case, uh, a guy developed tinnitus, uh, ringing in ears. Another, uh, otherwise healthy individual. I mean, was, you know, he's, he's in robust health and it was just luck of the draw. He developed really annoying, uh, ringing in ears, which is a known consequence of, of the vaccine. Uh, another patient came in the other day, uh, a young individual. He's a 38 year old, uh, individual, uh, came in, uh, experiencing uncontrollable muscle twitches. Uh, he went to see two neurologists. The neurologist verified that uh, this was likely a vaccine reaction, hopefully transient. It's got him pretty freaked out. It is getting better. Um, but uh, I asked him, did either of your neurologists, you know, who are experts in this field, uh, submit a report to VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System? And he says, to my knowledge, no. And th- th- there's a reason for that is I personally have never submitted a uh, drug reaction uh, or a vaccine reaction to VAERS because it's complicated. It's time consuming. Uh, they might come back at me and maybe accuse me of being uh, you're trying to spike the ball as an anti-vaxxer. There could be repercussions. So a lot of doctors are, you know, they'll just say, oh, you know, it's going to pass and, you know, it's not uh, even reportable. So we may be seeing, you know, in the reporting system, we may be seeing the tip of the iceberg of the problems. Now, I got to say this, and, and I think you'll agree, uh, Gretchen, that it's there's no question that the vaccine has been instrumental in curbing uh, and blunting the pandemic. Uh, the United States is doing much better than a lot of other countries which are less vaccinated. So credit to the vaccine for taking care of a terrible crisis and opening up the country. There's no question. But by that, just because of that does not mean that we shouldn't be asking reasonable questions about who might be susceptible to vaccine effects and, and you know, uh, revealing that uh, it, it's not all, uh, you know, roses, peaches and cream. That's right. And we are all about freedom of choice. We are not recommending that people don't have the vaccine. You know, we support everyone's right to be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated. And I do think that we've seen a lot of, of positive progress due to the vaccine. But you're absolutely right. We don't yet know the full consequences. So um, it's just important to be able to have these discussions, to ask reasonable questions, and to do it out in the open in a very um, transparent manner. And mm-hmm. that's that's simply lacking in our country right now. Have, has A&H encountered uh, censorship or shadow banning uh, when messaging around topics like this? Has, have you noticed a big change? We certainly have seen it with a lot of uh, sites like uh, uh, Dr. Mercola, uh, he's been really shut down. Uh, and, uh, with Green Medicine, uh, that, that site, um, I've seen it to some extent for my pronouncements, although, uh, not as, it's not been as dramatic as for some of my colleagues. What about A&H? We have not seen it dramatically during the COVID time period when we've been talking about the vaccine as relates to COVID. Um, we're very careful about what we put on social media. Um, much of our, uh, communications goes out via our newsletter and we're just very careful about how we go about things. So we have not seen a significant blowback. Um, I think that there might be a little bit of it happening to us just generally on Facebook, but it's very hard to tell because of mm-hmm. the way that they've changed. Um, it's the, algorithms, the way yeah. 
the algorithms. It's, it's you can't really necessarily be sure. I will say that we have received um, more negative messages than ever. I've been with the Alliance for Natural Health USA mm -hmm. for almost 14 years, and I've never received received so many, um, you know, uh, hateful messages. Yeah, vi vituperative uh, comments. I, you know, people kind of really lose it. It's an emotional issue, uh, and they're they're really um, fearful. And, you know, anything that might um, gum up the works in terms of our vaccine campaign elicits some very strong responses from people on both sides. I mean, there are other uh, on the other hand, there are people who, you know, if we say, well, there may be benefits to the vaccine, the vaccine's mostly safe and well tolerated. They're going to say, what are you talking about? The, you know, it, it, we're all going to turn into uh, zombies, you know, in in 10 years after the vaccine. You know, there are people who are alarmist about the vaccine and we don't share their perspective entirely. Um, so, you know, it's hard to get it right, you know, uh, when the views are so polarized. That's right. And I will say that we've received many more comments that we're not going far enough, that yeah. we need to much harder stance because, as you've said, people have really, really strong opinions, you know, that, that are anti-COVID vaccine. Um, but that's, that's, not our, that's not our position. We are freedom of choice. So um, we're, you know, maintaining our mission. And, um, you know, I, I do have a lot of compassion for the people that have come with, I mean, just really negative comments directly to me. Um, I have a lot of compassion because I can't imagine what it must be like to be living from that place of fear and mm -hmm. to be so panicky that, I mean, because people don't, that's not, you know, people don't act like that. They must be really in a bad place. So I just try to kind of, you know, send them a little bit of, love and scooch it aside and continue on with our mission because we have really important work to do. Indeed. Um, so uh, this week I penned an article, which I uh, sent to you before the show, uh, has natural medicine lost the race against big pharma? You know, in, in a way, um, it, it's there's more at stake than COVID because the very reputation of orthodox medicine and the public health establishment and the pharmaceutical industry are on the line. And a lot of people uh, are have implicit faith in these institutions, but a lot of people are skeptical. And, you know, had the vaccine effort really crashed and burned, had the vaccine been as ineffective, say, as the flu vaccine, which is minimally effective, maybe, you know, at best 50% effective, and had the vaccine effort uh, caused numerous uh, immediate side effects and injuries. Um, some people might have cheered that. They might have said, well, yeah, you see, that's high-tech medicine for you. High-tech medicine isn't really going to come through for you if in a time of trouble. Uh, but instead, you know, fortunately, the vaccine has been mostly well-tolerated and has been pretty effective. But um, is this going to usher in uh, a new sky's the limit era of drug fixes that will ultimately sweep away the need for people to explore natural healing modalities. I mean, really, it it is the the reputation of uh, conventional medicine is is on the line versus you know what we favor natural approaches. I mean, is this the end to natural approaches because we're going to come up with cure after cure after cure for all the major diseases? Well, no, no, absolutely not. And I think you nailed it in your post. You referenced Dr. Bredesen in your discussion about this new Alzheimer's drug, which mm -hmm. helps with the amyloid plaque. But Dr. Bredesen, he's got this really um, eloquent view 
that um, I find so insightful when he speaks about Alzheimer's. He said it's like it's like if your roof is leaking and you have 10 different leaks. And this is why he says none of the drugs, you know, up until now have ever proven helpful at all because they study like one different piece of the puzzle. And if you have 10 different leaks in your house and you plug a hole, you've, you've still got a wet floor. You know, in his approach, he looks at all of the actual causes of Alzheimer's. He's not looking at amyloid plaque. And I'm not sure that- Which may be a consequence of Alzheimer's and not right. actually the, the driving force exactly. behind it. Yeah. Exactly. So your question, you know, is there going to be this like big push and pharma is going to come in and cure all these diseases? Well, no, of course not, because they come out with this one size fits all pill looking at things like amyloid plaque, you know, instead of the true causes of Alzheimer's or the true causes of cancer or the true cause, which there are a 100 different causes for cancer for a 100 different people. So I think natural health steps in and can really be supportive. I mean, we're, we're in favor of an integrative approach. I mean, I, th I think of it all as medicine. It's all medicine. And if you can use the least invasive, most natural approaches first, fantastic. If you can address the root causes so that the body can come back into balance and heal naturally, even better. If you need a drug for, you know, to manage your, your process, that's great if, if there's a drug available to help. But, but we've never seen pharma come in and cure really, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't think of any particular diseases that they've cured. I feel like they manage a lot of symptoms. And I do think during COVID, a lot, yes, there's this big conversation. A vaccine has been really helpful. And I think people are just grateful and they're at their wits end looking for anything. They just want to get back to life. But a lot of people have also used natural health protocols to manage their health mm -hmm. throughout this COVID pandemic um, to prevent or help treat once they, you know, if they did contract the illness mm -hmm. um, to maintain a healthy immune system. People understand that, you know, the reason that so many people have been uh, affected so significantly is because of the underlying causes. I think they have a whole, more, more, a lot of people have a more holistic approach when it comes to health and that cannot be tackled without a fully integrative approach. Right. And, you know, even COVID, I think, makes an excellent case for the use of uh, natural uh, therapies and lifestyle approaches. Uh, there's so much that's been written about that. Uh, you know, it's not uh, random, you know, who gets uh, hospitalized, who gets goes on a ventilator, uh, who succumbs to COVID. Uh, there are comorbidities, many of which are lifestyle related. And this may be a real call to action for people to get into shape because uh, notwithstanding the success of the vaccine, we hope um, other challenges will come down the pike and will uh, threaten us. And if we're not, if we're vulnerable, as COVID has revealed, uh, you know, we we may be part of the herd that's being culled by these these diseases, not to mention the degenerative diseases that people may succumb to, not in 2021, but 5, 10, 15, 20 years hence. Um, what the problem, though, is, is to some extent, as you know, is with the messaging about some of these natural approaches, you know, things like vitamin D. If you post about vitamin D and COVID, immediately, uh, you know, you're slapped with a warning uh, from Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and you're, you're referred to a vaccine resource uh, center, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, it, so there's even been problems messaging, you know, some of the natural things that are supportive uh, of the immune system. Doctors have been uh, uh, targeted by the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, the FDA has pounced on some people for uh, proposing natural uh, approaches that may not be, you know, uh, 
freestanding all or nothing approaches, uh, but we need kind of an all of the above approach in dealing with this challenge. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And free speech is an issue that A&H has worked on for a long, long time. Um, this is historically a problem, and it's just really um, coming to light the extent because we're in the middle of a pandemic and access to this information is so crucial right now. But, um, I mean, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, we can't say anything. As a matter of fact, this is uh, – this is really interesting. The FDA recently released a report looking at a lot of the different natural health supplements that have been purported to be helpful with COVID and prevention or treatment. Mm -hmm. And they review all of these different supplements and vitamin D, for example, you mentioned vitamin D, so we'll go with that. They say people with vitamin D deficiency were more likely to have COVID than those who were vitamin D sufficient. They cite research that shows that vitamin D supplementation might reduce the severity of COVID-19 and on and on. They, for vitamin D, for zinc, for all of these different mm -hmm. supplements, they go through and cite the research that shows potential benefit in prevention or treatment. And then the conclusion is that the data are insufficient to support. <laughs> right. I, I, I thought I found the review was great. You know, it was like all the scientific evidence that, you know, is right. uh, so encouraging. And then the bottom line is, it, yeah, but it's premature to advocate the use of any of these things. So, you know, uh, hold off on taking <laughs> any of these natural support things. Yeah. And what I'll tell why they do that, that's because legally only an FDA approved drug can claim mm -hmm. to prevent or treat a disease. I think there was the Office that's of Dietary Supplements, the ODS, that put that one out. And it was actually very scholarly and, and comprehensive, but the, you know, the conclusion was extremely uh, limp, you know, when it came, I'm, and you know, it just kind of reflects uh, the powers that be who say, you know, it's either the vaccine, remdesivir, or nothing. Right. Well, but this has been a problem for, for many, many years, right, that we, we just can't talk about the benefits of any natural health options because they're not FDA-approved drugs. And, of course, the structure for the drug approval process doesn't really work for natural health options many times because they don't carry the same patent protection that a new-to-nature molecule would, mm -hmm. and it can cost hundreds of millions of dollars for drug approval. So, you know, vitamin D is $11 a bottle. It's already in the marketplace. There's no market exclusivity. So, you know, to go through these drug trials is incredibly expensive, but it's this catch-22 because mm -hmm. you can't talk about the benefits. And that's why we have been working on our free speech bill. Um, it's been introduced in several Congresses, and we continue to build support for it. We have members of Congress currently um, preparing, hopefully, to reintroduce it. And that bill would allow the citation of published peer-reviewed research that shows natural health options are beneficial. So you can basically cite the research. FDA has gone after cherry growers for citing a Harvard research study on the benefits of cherry and reducing gout, for example. Mm -hmm. Our legislation would make that legal. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good point at which to pause because great conversation, but uh, I want to continue on some of the more pressing issues that uh, confront uh, health consumers. Um, we're going to talk uh, in part two about uh, the threats to NAC, a popular supplement, uh, compounded hormones, uh, and other things that consumers like to access, methyl B12, essential for health. 
I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today's guest is the Executive Director of the Alliance for Natural Health, anh-usa.org, a great organization to support if you are uh, interested in retaining uh, access to uh, supplements and therapies of your choice. This is Intelligent Medicine.